And as the children are leaving, you can find in your Bible or your phone or your iPad or the Bible in the pew in front of you, the book of Proverbs. We're getting back to our sermon series on Proverbs. Now, I was thinking about, I have found Proverbs a difficult book to uh, preach from because as you may have guessed, I really like the letters of the New Testament, like Romans, for example. I like those books of the Bible because they're, um, it's, I find it straightforward. The Holy Spirit through a man has a, has a message that he's trying to tell to the church and it's logical, propositional truth. And I'm very at home there. But the book is, I mean, the book, the Bible is made up of 66 different books and there's several different genres within those 66 books. So you have history books, which read almost like a textbook, but of the history of God's people. And then you have books like Psalms, uh, which actually that's a unique book, which is almost like a hymn book or a book of poems. And then you have the uh, prophetic books, which are historical as well, but they center on one man through whom God gives a message to his people and then here we have Proverbs, which is a very unique sort of book. It's not like the letters of the New Testament where you sit down and there's this one clear truth that the author is trying to explain to the audience. It's more like a summer spent with uh, a wise old grandfather figure. And throughout the whole summer, you're working and you're just talking about all sorts of different stuff. And at the end of the summer, you look back and you realize you've gained all this wisdom about all these different facets of life just through these little incidental um, anecdotal stories or warnings that he may have given you about this or that that he's experienced or specific admonitions or uh, contrasts that he clarified for you about living. And that's more what Proverbs is. And so what I've tried to do is synthesize what some of the topics are that Proverbs touches on and then read through the entire book of Proverbs and pull out everything I can about that topic because it's sprinkled throughout the whole book. They're not all in one section. And then boil that down to just the clearest nugget of, of what the Bible in Proverbs says about it. And that's what we're trying to do today with the topic of envy. Now, envy, I don't think is something I've ever preached specifically on. Envy is a, it's a sin that the Bible tells us is wrong, but it's a subtle, tricky sort of sin. It's a secret of sin. It's not something that's easy to identify. If, if, if I struggle with the sin of gluttony, you'll be able to tell more and more and more over time. But if I struggle with the sin of envy, you probably won't really be able to tell unless you really get to know me. And you may not even know how much you're struggling with the sin of envy. So my prayer is that as we study this word this morning that we'll gain eyes that see into our own hearts, maybe a little more clearly in regard to envy and that we'll be freed from it. And I think that'll be more invigorating than you might, you might realize. Um, but first we need to figure out what envy is. And before I launch into that, I'd really like us to pray together because uh, we need God's help. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing me to preach your word Please enable me to do it well. Lord, thank you for these folks that you've brought here today. And I know that you brought us each here because you have this word for us and you want to speak to us. And Lord, please speak to us plainly. Please speak to us as, as little children. We, 
we have a hard time understanding the greater, grander truths of your word, and we need your help. And we submit to you now and ask for that help, and we ask that you would help us to respond to it humbly and obediently. Because you are God and we are not. We are your creatures, and, and we want to honor you. We want to glorify you in the way we hear these words and the way we respond to them. So please help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Um, Envy, I found a little bit difficult to define at first. It's one of these words that we use and we know what it means, but then again, we may not clearly know what it means. How is envy different from jealousy, for instance? And how is envy different from greed? So the textbook definition for envy is discontentment and resentful longing at other people's good. Discontentment and resentful longing provoked by good things that happen or good things that other people have. Okay, so it's, it's different from jealousy. It's not exactly the same. Jealousy is sort of a subcategory of envy. Jealousy is when you have uh, discontentment and resentful longing stirred up because specifically someone is receiving affection that you think you should be receiving. So if your spouse starts to give a lot of affection to some other guy or some other gal, jealousy is stirred up in you. And that is a sort of envy. That's a flavor of envy, specifically because you should be getting that affection. Okay? So it's, it's a broader category than jealousy. It's different from greed because it's specifically focused not just on what you don't have, but what, what someone else does have. Okay? Greed is just, I want more. Envy is, I want more than what you have. Greed is, I want more. Envy is, I want you to have less than what I have. Okay, you starting to get a clear notion? It's different from admiration or aspiration. Those things are good. Those things look up and see someone who's accomplished more than you have or someone who has earned more than you have. And it says, I want to be up there too. Envy looks up there and sees someone who has more than you have or looks better than you look or whatever it may be and says, I want to be up there instead. Envy says, I just need to be higher than you. doesn't matter how high I am, just as long as I'm higher than the people around me. That's what envy is. Okay, it's ugly, it's hideous. Nobody wants to admit that that is in them, but I know that it is in each of you because you're horrible people. I'm just kidding. I, I know that it's in each of you And it's in me because scripture teaches that that's just part of the mess that we're born into. Okay, so we have this sin in us and we need help. And Proverbs has some wisdom for us. Envy is what is stirred up in you when you finally reached your week-long beach vacation at Holden Beach. And you're so happy and you're, you're driving up that bridge, you know. Anybody ever go to Holden Beach? And you know, you finally made it to the bridge and you're going up over the bridge and you see Holden Beach down there. Yes, we made it. And then you look on your phone and you see on Facebook, your friend is in the Bahamas for two weeks. And suddenly Holden Beach does not seem that great anymore. See, that's envy that ruined it for you. Okay, and it's envy that we're gonna learn about this morning. So what I've pulled from Proverbs for us is two principles and two practices. Okay, Proverbs is full of principles and practices. Principles that wise people understand and practices the way wise people live. So we have two principles and two practices um, from Proverbs based on envy. 
And the first principle is this. Envy will kill you. Envy will kill you. Let me read to you Proverbs 27, 4. Proverbs 27, 4 says, Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? And that word that they translate jealousy, your translations may very well translate envy. And that seems to be the more faithful translation. But even if it's jealousy, that's a category of envy. So wrath is cruel. Wrath is pretty bad. Anger is overwhelming. It's pretty bad too. But who can stand, who can survive jealousy or envy? It's much worse than we think it is. There's a paragraph in the book of Galatians that outlines the work of the flesh. And it lists some horrible, horrible, sinful vile activities. Let me read it to you. It says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, so here are the works of the flesh. These are the, the sins that we are enslaved to unless Christ frees us. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Envy is in this list. Okay, so we cannot just brush it aside as a minor problem. Envy is a major problem. Okay, it's as major as being absorbed up into any of these other sins. Envy will kill you. Let me read you one more proverb. It's 1430. We're going to be jumping all over the place this morning in your Bibles. Proverbs 1430 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, But envy makes the bones rot. Envy makes the bones rot. One of the translations that I read said envy is like bone cancer. You know, we hear more and more reports of cancer. And many of you know firsthand, I just shared with you about Alvin. It's devastating. And the Bible relates envy's effect on you to the effect that cancer has on your body. It eats you away. It, it will kill you spiritually. It will kill you emotionally. It will kill you relationally. It will kill your joy. It will kill your peace. It will kill your contentment. It will eat away at you from the inside. And then the alternative here in the same proverb is to have a tranquil heart, which gives life to the flesh or a peaceful heart that gives life to the flesh. You know, the youth studied the seven deadly sins over the last seven weeks. And uh, I came across a quote from a guy named Peter Kreeft. And I never thought about this before, but envy is one of the seven deadly sins, the traditional seven deadly sins. Envy is the only one, Kreeft points out, that gives the sinner no pleasure whatsoever. You know, gluttony offers at least moments of pleasure while you're eating the donut. 
even if it you know, leads to a lifetime of displeasure, you know, lust offers at least a momentary, even if it's a fake, you know, cheap pleasure, you know, when you steal that glance. Wrath offers at least a little bit of pleasure when you, you know, even as temporary as it is and as false as it is when you get that revenge. But envy does you no good at any point throughout the entire process. It just makes you miserable. It's a horrible, insidious sin. I already mentioned Facebook, but I came across these two studies while I was getting ready for this sermon that these two uh, universities in Germany did on Facebook. Yeah, I'm using a Facebook illustration here. How many of you actually use Facebook? Okay, better, better than my movie illustrations, okay? So they did this study on Facebook users and they found that a third of all the Facebook users that they studied actually feel much worse after visiting Facebook than they did before they visited Facebook and that they felt less satisfied with their lives, more discontent, and just a little bit more miserable after visiting Facebook. And the reason why these two secular universities, what they landed on for why was envy. That is people looked at the news feeds and they saw the vacations that their friends were going on and they saw the family and social life that their friends seemed to have. They just felt worse and worse and worse about their own situation. And that led to greater and greater and greater levels of stress. And the reason they were studying it in the first place is because we all know stress is killing us. The number one stressor was seeing family vacations that they wish they could go on. The number two stressor was seeing that someone else got more birthday greetings on their birthday than you got. And seeing that someone else's comments and pictures got more likes than your comments and pictures got. The studies revealed that uh, people in their mid-30s were most envious of other people's families. And that women were most envious of other women's looks. And it was making them miserable and all stressed out. So Facebook is just this little microcosm of really, uh, of all real life. You know, the envy in your life is strangling you. So principle number one, envy will kill you. Principle number two, this is really important. You have a future and a hope. Okay? You have a future and a hope. Let me read you where I get this from before I explain what I mean. Proverbs 23, verses 17 and 18. It says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. So don't envy sinners. Surely you have a future. Surely your hope will not be cut off. And then I want to contrast that with Proverbs 24, verses 19 and 20. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. So in both of these two Proverbs where he's instructing us as sons and daughters, you know, like a wise grandfather... And he's telling us, don't be envious of people, especially people who aren't following the Lord. And there's two reasons given, two contrasting reasons. In chapter 23, it's because surely if you're following the Lord, if you're a believer, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, surely you have a future. Surely you have a hope. Things may not seem like what you want them to seem like right now, but surely God has a plan for you. 
And then on the other hand, in chapter 24, he's saying, don't envy these people who aren't following the Lord because they have no future. They have no hope. Even if it seems like they have everything now, we're all careening towards this dead end when all of our earthly possessions, all of our earthly things, even our earthly relationships are going to come to a full stop. And what we're going to have is the eternal weight of glory of Jesus Christ, or we're going to have damnation. Envy says, if I, had, if I just had that person's spouse, or if I just had that person's boyfriend or girlfriend, then I would have a future. Then I would have hope. Envy says, if I just had that, if I just had those parents' children, who weren't such trouble, then I would have a future. Then I would have a hope. Envy says, if I just had the job that guy has, then I would have a future. Then I would have a hope. And wisdom says, no, remember your Bible. Remember the promises God has given you. Remember he said that if you love him and are called according according to his purposes, he's working all this together for your good. He's working all of this together, your financial situation, your family situation, your physical situation, whatever it is. He's working that all together to make you look more like Jesus Christ. That's your future. That's your hope. So there's no reason to be discontent and there's no reason to long resentfully for what someone else has. Trust the Lord with what he's doing in your life now. So envy will kill you and you do have a future and a hope if you are a Christian. Now that brings us to the two practices. All right, number one, and this is going to be worth the trip out to church, worth everything. This little nugget of wisdom is going to blow your mind. Okay, this is the number one practice that I've gleaned from my study of the entire book of Proverbs regarding envy. Okay, ready? Number one, don't envy. You're welcome. Aren't you guys glad you have such a wise pastor? Now that there's more in that point than it seems, but it is simple. Don't envy. I'm gonna read you again. Proverbs 23 verse 17. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. The way it's phrased, let not your heart envy. It's like you have a dog on a leash and you're just let, let not that dog go over there. Let not that heart go there. You know, your heart is going to see things that it wants to envy. Okay. That inner being of yours is going to see that your buddy or your neighbor got this car that makes your car look like a clot of dirt. And your heart's going to want to go over there. Your heart's going to want to drag you that way and drag your thoughts that way and drag your emotions that way of thinking, why does he get that? Why does she have that? Why does she look like that? And I look like this. Why does, why does that family get to have this harmonious holiday, you know, this harmonious Christmas and, and mine is a wreck. Your heart's going to want to drag you that way. And Proverbs says, let not your heart envy. Don't let it. You're in charge here. When you see, when you feel that pull, put a stop to it. Yank it back. Okay, and you know what that pull feels like. You may have never put your finger on it. You may have never labeled it envy. 
But you know what that tug feels like, don't you? I know that I know what it feels like. Now, you might have noticed it says, let not your heart envy sinners. Okay, and all through Proverbs, whenever it specifies um, specifically, I guess anytime you're specifying, you're specifying specifically. Whenever it specifies who you are not to envy, it always says sinners or the wicked or evil people or violent men. Now, it doesn't always specify. So I think the, the principles hold for any sort of envy, even if it's of a good person. But it does often point to, especially don't envy, people who are not following Jesus Christ, people who are not living by the word, people who are living by the world's standards, especially don't envy them. And I think I know why. I'm going to read to you two more Proverbs. I told you we'd be all over the place. Proverbs 3.31 says, Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. And there's a hint in there, I think, that the person you envy is the person that you'll begin to emulate. You'll start to choose their ways and soon you're going to be that kind of person. So especially don't envy you know, violent, wicked, greedy, you know, deceitful people because you're going to start to act like them to get what they have. Let me read you one more, Proverbs 24, 1. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. You start to envy evil men, and that heart starts to drag you toward them. You know, those you start to spend your time with begins to change in these types of people. And you'll start to get infected by it. So don't envy. Don't let your heart envy. And especially don't envy wicked, evil, vile people. Because you're going to become like that. Practice number two. Fear the Lord. Instead of envying, fear the Lord. That's from Proverbs 23, verse 17 again. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. This is the opposite of envy. Envy or fear the Lord. You cannot envy and fear the Lord at the same time. They're contradictory. They're opposites and this is the antidote. For envy. So if you know that you're all eaten up with envy and that cancer has rotted your bones, this is the medicine, the fear of the Lord. Now, when the Bible says fear the Lord, it means to revere him properly with, with the proper awe that is due him, is to respect him properly for the fact that he is God, that he is your creator, that he is sovereign. Okay, when you envy, that is eroded. You're no longer fearing God. You're no longer revering God. You're no longer considering his plans for your life. You're no longer respecting him until eventually he's a distant figure out of the picture and all you care about. You, you cannot be happy until you get this stuff that you want so bad. Yeah, you know, I saw a miniature version of this with my kids this week. I see a miniature version of everything I see in the scripture with my children. They're the best Bible teachers you can find. So Lillian had a pretty significant dental appointment this week. 
she has some tooth issues and um, she's going to have to go. And the previous time that we took her, it went pretty badly. It was just a bad experience for her. And so we told her, we're going to get you ice cream. We're going to get you a milkshake after. Now, I know it's the dentist. It's no fun, but we're going to make it the best we can. We're going to get you a milkshake after. And it was in the morning. Meredith and I both had to go because she had to be sedated. So Meredith needed to be back there with her on the ride home. And so neither of us was available to take Elias to school. So for Lillian, we're saying, yes, you have to go to the dentist, but we're going to get you a milkshake after. For Elias, we're saying, we can't take you to school today, so we're going to take you to Grandma and Papa's house, and you're going to eat breakfast over there, and, and Grandma's going to take you to school. Okay? They both know the deal that each of the others is going to get. And they're both extremely unhappy because they're not getting the deal the other one has. <laughs> Elias was so angry that he's not going to go get a milkshake. And we're saying, but yeah, but you get to go see Grandma and Papa and get breakfast over there. And Lillian's extremely unhappy. She doesn't get to go and see Grandma and Papa and, and ride in their car, but she gets the milkshake. And that's, that's what envy is. It's irrational and it's silly. But if either child would have stopped for a second, and I know this is their children, but if they had stopped for a second and looked not just at each other and what each other was getting or not getting, and looked up at me and Meredith sitting there who are working really hard to try to make their lives good. <laughs> we love our kids. We know way more than they know about the situation. We know what has to be. We know that what's good for Lillian here is not only the milkshake, but also that her teeth get fixed so that they don't fall out. So she doesn't have incredible pain. You know, we know this stuff. They don't know that stuff. They don't think that way. They don't understand what we understand. And I think temporarily when you're a child and you get angry like that because it's not fair and some other sibling gets what you think you ought to get, temporarily you're forgetting that your parents love you and they know more than you know. You, that fear of your parents, that reverence, that respect for your parents has slidden out of the picture. Okay, now that's a silly little example. Of course, you know, they're, they're kids, but that's the exact same scenario when we envy. When we see the deal that our brother or sister in Christ or that movie star or what somebody else has and we cannot be content until we have it too we're little childish jerks who have temporarily just decided god either doesn't love me or he doesn't know what's best for me because i know what's best for me and it's to have a house like that person has and it's foolish and see that's the key about studying proverbs we know some of this stuff is sinful envy we know is sinful now we've talked about Uh, selfishness with our money and greed. We know that's sinful. It's not only sinful, it's also foolish. When, When Proverbs talks about these things, it's not talking about the moral value of things. It's talking about whether it's wise or foolish. And when we're envious, we're fools. We're just, we're fools. So envy will kill you. You need to remember that as God's son, God's daughter, you have a future and a hope. So don't envy. Instead of envying, fear the Lord. Now the question should be arising in your minds, how? How? Because envy sort of lives on an emotional level more than a rational level. How do we do it? Well, this is where Jesus comes in, as you may have guessed. You cannot change your heart here. You can't. And that's why God came in the form of Jesus Christ. That's why it's good news. 
So there's several ways that Jesus will help us in regard to envy. And for the first one, I'm going to read to you from Philippians chapter 2. It says in 2.5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, so while we're down here arguing and whining and fussing about the things that we wish we had that that guy does have and it's not fair, meanwhile, God is stepping down from his throne, letting go of all that is graspable about being God, just letting it go and stepping down all the way to be born in the likeness of men and then stepping down even further to take on the form of a servant, not a king yet, a servant. And then stepping down even further to die for us. And that changes everything. When you become a Christian, envy is completely contrary to your new nature. Completely contrary. Did you ever see the footage of, I think it was in the Special Olympics some time ago and you know they're racing around the track and one of the contestants one of the runners trips and everybody even the people who were ahead stop the race and go back and help them up and they run across the finish line together and you can't watch the footage of that without at least being tempted to cry of course way too manly to cry or something like that but it's so moving it's so moving to see these special olympics runners love each other like that to, you know, the race is all about winning, all about winning, all about winning until suddenly it becomes about something much more important. It's no longer about the race anymore. And it changes the race for everybody. It changes the race for all the runners. It changes the race for everybody watching. And that's exactly what the gospel of Jesus Christ does regarding envy. See, in this world, it's all about winning. It's all about winning. It's about getting ahead at work. It's about having the better car. It's about having the better family, having the better looks, having the better outfit. It's all about winning, winning, winning. But when Jesus stepped down, when he made it about something else, it changes the race for everybody. And when you see him, what he did for you, the race no longer is about winning anymore. It's about serving. See, when you're envious, it's about you wanting to win. But Christianity is not about you winning. It's about you serving. It's about you losing so that someone else can win the way Jesus lost so that we could win. He didn't just, he didn't just change the race for us by being an example. That death that he died for us was for our envy. Our envy is so serious that it disconnects us from God. God can't welcome us into heaven with this filthy envy all over us. Jesus died for that. So if you're feeling the weight of conviction right now that you know this is you, you know you've been sinning in this area, good news. Jesus died to pay for that on the cross. If you'll allow him, if you'll accept that forgiveness, you can be cleansed of it and transformed of it. And he'll give you the Holy Spirit who then brings about the fruit of the Spirit, which includes peace, that tranquil heart, and enables you to step out of that old life of the flesh and into the new life of the Spirit. It's beautiful what Christ does for us.
us envious sinners. And ultimately, all this is very simple. I have one more scripture to share with you. This is really, this isn't a scripture you hear preached on very often, but it's a really good passage. It's at the very end of John, in John 21. It's at the very end, and you know, Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's appeared to his disciples, and you know, Peter had already denied Jesus three times, so Peter was just a f- miserable failure of a disciple. And Jesus is restoring Peter to full fellowship and forgiving him in front of the others. And He calls Peter back into service, and he tells him to feed his sheep, and Peter says, I will. And then Jesus says this cryptic thing to Peter, and he gives Peter a glimpse into what his future is going to hold. In John 1, I'm sorry, John 21, verse 18, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then parenthetically, it says, This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Okay, so you're Peter. All right, you have blown it as a disciple, but Jesus resurrected from the dead, which, which confirms everything that you thought you believed about him in the first place. This truly is the Son of God, restores you to full fellowship and forgives you. But then he says, Peter, you've known a lot of freedom in your life, but there's going to come a day when you have no more freedom left and you're going to be bound and you're going to be taken where you don't want to go. You're going to die for me. Okay, Peter turned after that and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This was John, the one who wrote this book. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? So Peter just gets this news. Jesus says, you're going to die. And he looks back and he sees John, who everybody knows is Jesus' favorite. He's always right beside Jesus. I mean, he is the, the most beloved disciple. And he looks at him. And he says in verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, well, Lord, what about this man? You're telling me I'm going to die for you. What are you going to do with John? Same question my kids ask me when they look at each other. Well, if I have to clean up my room, what about, what about Lillian? What about Elias? He says, Jesus, what about John? And here's what Jesus told him. If it is my will that John remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What is that to you? You follow me. And then it says that that saying like spread throughout the whole church. And that that is the banner for the Christian when we encounter envy. What is it to you what anybody else has? What is it to you what path God has put anybody else on? What is it to you? You follow me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it uh, cuts down to the marrow and is so precise and is so revealing to us. And what I pray that where we have been envious, you would reveal that to us and, and so that we can confess and repent and be freed and be your people uh, with tranquil hearts. We want those tranquil hearts. We want peace. 
We want to be able to look out of the people around us and see them only as opportunities, people that we can serve, whether they're having good circumstances or bad circumstances. We want to be free so we can weep with one another when we're weeping and rejoice with one another when we're rejoicing and not weep over someone else's rejoicing and rejoice over someone else's weeping. Or please help us to see Jesus clearly and be so transformed by him that we're freed from this sin of envy and this folly of envy. Lord, help us to focus. Help us to follow Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.